0: Hello, my name is Beatrice Setnick. I am the Chief Scientific Officer at Alta Sciences and an adjunct professor at the University of Toronto, Department of Pharmacology and Toxicology. I am joined today with my colleague, Dr. Deborah Kelsch, who is a psychiatrist and principal investigator at Alta Sciences. Dr. Kelsch oversees many of the clinical human abuse potential and substance use disorder studies that we conduct at our clinic in Kansas. We would like to welcome you to our podcast series titled The Many Faces of Recreational Drug Use, a series of candid interviews of personal drug use histories, which will include a collection of conversations with volunteers who abuse drugs, both sporadically for recreational purposes and those that are struggling with a more severe form of substance use disorder. Our first interview today is with a male, age 30, who is opioid dependent. We will follow the interview with a series of brief commentaries and a discussion. We hope you enjoy today's podcast, and we'll now begin. Well, let's start off, if you could give us a little bit about your history of using recreational <laughs> drugs. <laughs> um, how did you start? Uh, what did you start using, and how did that evolve? Um, you can tell us a little bit about your story.
1: Um... It started. Uh, it started when I was young. Um, I don't even know how old I was. When, I think it was between six and eight when I ripped my jaw off. So I got prescription hydrocodone or something. I, I don't remember exactly what it was, but that's when I liked them because it took me out of my mind. Because I was, I don't know how to say it. Uh, you know. Blessed by my father when I was younger. So, like, like it, it clicked. So then it just evolved. Uh, I don't know, rapidly. By, by high school, I was getting prescriptions, you know, written to me for 180 a month of hydrocodone, uh, oxycodone 30s. Um, did those for, I don't know, well into my 20s. And then, you know, here and there dabbled with, you know, heroin never shot it or nothing but uh and then now the new thing is is fentanyl so mm-hmm. yeah so i'd rather do you know because now the fentanyl like even if you go back to an oxycodone or anything you, you won't feel anything from that but you take three of the oxycodone 30s and it doesn't do anything compared to a fentanyl a, a press 30 or whatever however you want to call it mm-hmm
0: So when you're so you mentioned that you weren't um, you've never injected before
1: for
2: any of
0: these drugs. So you're taking it mostly orally. Do you take it by any other route other than oral?
1: I snort them uh, Mm -hmm. and smoke them.
0: Uh huh, and smoking. And so you started off with hydrocodone. Um, Did you try other drugs, or was it? Did you have a preference for opioids, or did you experiment with other drugs as you were growing up?
1: Um, I've done. I love acid Mm -hmm. you know don't you know I mean I I don't think it's bad but I don't know just the way it makes you feel after you do it Mm. like the next day like you feel I don't know re-energized after doing acid but that drug is hard to come by on the streets so but yeah I mean pain pills was the number one Um, there for a while when I was working I traveled so I mean like I was addicted to crack cocaine for a long time for four years but, yeah. you know, I've been off of it for, I think, three. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, congratulations.
1: And yeah, thank you. And I've just been on opiates ever since. So.
0: And so you started off uh, very young. You had a prescription. Uh, as you were getting older and you were using the hydrocodone, was this all, this was all coming from a prescription that you were getting? Or were you getting it uh, in your later year, in your high school years, for example, were you getting it from friends or from yeah. family?
1: i was getting it from friends Mm -hmm. okay adderall Adderall, uh yeah anything Uh,
0: and then when you were um for example if you were snorting the drug so what the, the dosage you would have started off with this really small dose but you mentioned um that you were getting uh higher and higher doses of hydrocodone could you just kind of walk me through how high of a dose you were getting before you moved over, um, to, to other things to, to kind of beat off that tolerance.
1: It wasn't long. It was, I don't know, when I was 14, I was doing, I don't know, 108, like, you know, 180 hydro tens. Cause that's as high as hydro tens would go hydrocodone mm-hmm. only goes a 10 milligram or whatever. And I could do 180 in two days. So
0: Oh, okay. And so the that would all be through prescriptions or that would be through getting it from friends? Correct. Mm-hmm. Okay. So from friends then? <coughs> yeah.
1: yeah, mm-hmm. uh, Prescriptions and friends.
0: And friends. So you'd be combining them. So then did you ever move from, uh, you mentioned heroin. Did you move to, say, you moved to other uh, types of opioids after uh, you hit the hydrocodone?
1: The oxycodone limit of the mm-hmm. 30 milligrams? Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. Okay. And then at what point did you kind of move from uh, taking it orally to, say, intranasal use? Did that happen rapidly or did that sort of evolve over time?
1: Uh, technically, it was my younger brother that introduced snorting. Like, uh-huh. I, don't, I don't know the difference between his body and my body makeup, but mm. he feels them more when he snorts them. Mm-hmm. But I feel them more when I eat, you know, when I eat them and snort oh, okay. them. So like. Mm-hmm.
0: So you would do a combination of the two. You would take some orally and then I,
1: take some intranasally. Yeah, I would eat like if they were actually oxy- or hydro tins. I would eat like eight of them and snort two of them, and within oh, okay. twenty minutes I was like, "Yeah, dude, I love this."
0: Ah, so you're getting a, co- a combination of the two. Okay. And how are you um, preparing them to, to snort? What would you have to do to get it to a powder a, a form that would be easily easy to snort?
1: Crush it down. Uh, lighter, you know, a mm-hmm. big lighter, any kind of lighter, uh, a grinder.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, you- uh, mm-hmm. those, those gray, what is it, service trays that the servants used to use back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have you know, a few of them at the house, we would just break it down and pass the plate. And there you go.
0: Uh, and the, um, have you encountered some of those opioids like the OxyContin that were more difficult to crush? Have you ever encountered those types of uh, opioids?
1: The OP? Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: And were you able to get around crushing it? Or did you find it more difficult to to use those by snorting?
1: you put them in the microwave and it it, it melts the plastic around them that, that surrounds them. And then you just either, you know, shoot them or snort them.
0: Mm -hmm. So would you, would it be, is it, if you have to put more effort into say microwaving them and doing all of these steps, does that deter you from, from using that? Or is it, you know, does it, does it make a difference to you? If you, if you have to spend more time preparing a drug for snorting.
1: I mean, it didn't, it didn't really matter because, like, it, like what was it? I think I took, and uh, what is it? An Op an oxycontin what mm-hmm. is eighty milligram one time. I I mm-hmm. I split it in half and I took half of it before work. I ate it, mm-hmm. and like you know, as long as you get one in you before you know, so you don't start withdrawing or whatever, you're mm-hmm. fine. And then you can do whatever you want to the microwave. It, it doesn't matter because once you're high you're high you don't really care you just don't want to come down so then you you know yeah I, yeah I spent a lot of money on drugs so yeah yeah uh, not very good
0: and so you've uh your primary motivation is is it to kind of avoid withdrawal syndrome at this point or are you still getting that high that you you've got before
1: you're you still get the high but it Right now, because of the fentanyl, you could do a fentanyl pill, mm-hmm. and two hours after you do it, you're already starting to withdraw. So you got to buy more.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And mm-hmm. no other pain pill can touch it. Not an oxycodone thirty. Not a. Not a. Not a. You know, a one step away from heroin pill. Nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, nothing touches it besides the real thing, in heroin. I mean, that touches it. That gets you off a of sick, but. Mm-hmm. It's not the same kind of high, I guess, like mm-hmm. I don't know people would say I would black out on fentanyl, but I don't know. I mean, I remember most of things, some things yeah i, I blacked out, I guess, but I don't know, I just love the drug
0: so how long have you been uh using fentanyl for
1: uh two years?
0: Two years, and it's it's. I mean, it has a quite a different potency compared to hydrocodone, and oxycodone. How do you uh, control it so that you use it safely?
1: I don't. I don't oh. know what. I don't know how much. Is, of... mm-hmm. I don't know how much is in the pill or not. I know that mm-hmm. I can crush down. Like when they were first coming out, they were potent. They they were like really strong. Cause I I remember breaking my sink because I blacked out one time. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was one example. And then, then like now, I don't know if they got it down or what, but now you just Mm -hmm. get high. So.
0: Great. So we'll take, we'll take a brief break here and uh, point out a few of the really interesting elements that came out of the interview thus far. Um, Dr. Kelsch, uh, some of the we work with a lot of individuals who have opioid use disorder, or whether they're recreational or dependent as in the case of this um, gentleman. Uh, he mentions really early exposure to opioids. Uh, he, I think it was between six and eight is from his recollection for a, a jaw injury that he had. And he recalled stating that he really liked it at the time that he was using it. Uh, and of course, he also mentioned the, the abuse that he suffered as a child. Um, in your dealings with a lot of uh, users who are dependent, do you often see these characteristics in these
3: populations
0: with such early exposure?
3: Um, I think that's a little earlier than I've seen you know with opioid use. I mean, but it's a pretty typical story that even as a teen, for whatever reason they received a prescription of opioids, whether it be for a tooth extraction or a sports injury, and then they became addicted. But you do see a lot of people who have used other drugs really early, you know, whether it be marijuana, alcohol, cigarettes, um, So, so the early age isn't so unusual, but, but that's, I would say that's even a little young to become sort of a dependent on it. Because I think partly because of access, you know, at that age, I think it would be much harder to keep a supply going from a pediatrician per se. So, um, but yeah, but starting in at a young age, teenage years, that's pretty typical. Mm -hmm.
0: And I did note that he, as he was progressing to fentanyl, he was talking about how the the tolerance of course and and that's very notable with opioids as the tolerance develops uh, it was surprising that he didn't transition to eventual intravenous use but that was probably marked and as we'll see later in the interview a fear of injections and that's oftentimes not uncommon to hear uh, that some users will be weary of going to injections Uh, and then we see sort of transition to more potent opioids like fentanyl to sustain that level of the high that they're trying to achieve while uh, it, trying to circumvent the withdrawal effects. But he did ma- make mention of the, the struggles he's had with withdrawal. And it's interesting because the fentanyl, as he mentions, uh, when he has, when he's taking the fentanyl, the withdrawal, I guess, is so intense that even the oxycodones or the regular opioid Pills no longer are as effective. Is that something that you've noted with with different subjects across uh, in terms of how they um, mitigate the withdrawal with
3: fentanyl, with more potent opioids? Well, the fentanyl phenomenon's a little bit more recent for us. When we first started, I think the heroin, he may have missed that, I think because of the needle, fear of needles, but also what happened was as the opioids became harder to crush and became abuse deterrent in that way. Some people then switched to heroin because that was easily accessible, but he may have had that happen and then was able to then get skip the heroin stage and go straight to fentanyl because now fentanyl is so um, available out there. So, um, right. So I think the withdrawal, um, it could be it could be worse, although I think it's bad when you once you get opioid use disorder, no matter what opioid you're taking, it seems like when we see them here in our facility they they all eventually look equally um, miserable, I mean, a lot of suffering in the withdrawal.
0: And he did make mention of his experience with microwaving oxycontin, which we know that was that was one of the methods that was in the internet and in some of the uh, publicly accessible um, recipes for overcoming oxycontin. Uh, I think he he made an interesting point. I think because he's so um, his preferred route seemed to be the oral route uh, with some mixed intranasal mm-hmm. use. But he did make mention that uh, his brother uh, was more uh, got more of an intense feeling from the intranasal route, whereas his preference. Was was more on the oral route. Uh, so for him I think the the idea of uh, manipulating tablets for injection or, or p- perhaps intranasal use may be a little bit different than the average uh, individual who may be injecting opioids. Uh, but it was interesting that uh, you know that how accessible that information about tampering right. gets out into the into that public domain and uh, certainly the experimentation with it. Uh, but he did make a very valid point that you know as soon as he Takes an opioid. Uh, his initial motivation is to stop the withdrawal, uh, and once he does that, once that's under control, then he can sit around and tamper with things right. for longer. But um, the it really is a fa- function of uh, timing. So the 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 withdrawal. Is the most important, time urgent um, thing that they need to address because, as you've mentioned, it was it's very debilitating and uh, they suffer quite a lot through the through the withdrawal. Uh, another point that he made, and and we'll get more into it into the interview, were the blackouts that he experiences with fentanyl, and uh, I don't do you come across that uh, in terms of subjects reporting. Fentanyl blackouts, uh, and he'll get into a little bit more into that in later in the interview, where he talks about uh, doing things and having no recollection. So it's not a, it's not passing out or or a respiratory depressant effect, but a,
3: a complete blackout. Yeah, not you know not so much. I haven't probably just queried that question specifically, but we do see a lot of sort of near death experiences where they're having to be revived that are their friends. Um, But no, that was an interesting comment because I haven't, unlike alcohol, where you hear about blackouts sort of all the time, um, just actual missing time periods of time, I haven't had people report that. But then again, I may have not just specifically asked that question either.
0: Well, we'll hear more about it in the interview. So why don't we continue the interview and we'll pause again for a break further down. And so these are, you're getting uh, from friends and family or you're, how, how are you getting access to fentanyl?
1: Drug dealers.
0: Mm-hmm. And so, but you're taking it orally at I'm this snorting point? Him. Are you snorting, snorting them? Uh-huh. Okay. I don't and take how- the fentanyl.
1: No, I don't take fentanyl orally. I take mm-hmm. it, I just snort it because it hits you faster. And I mean, mm-hmm. it actually, yeah.
0: So the, um, how often, how many times a day do you? usually have to take a hit
1: Uh, it depends on how much money i got in my pocket
0: Ah, well that's that's true so ideally if you had uh if i if i had if you had a hundred
1: dollars if i had a hundred like i'm gonna be honest with you when i leave here i get whatever however much money from them you know i'll go and spend a hundred dollars i'll spend half of what i get i'll go get me some Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I'll buy me cigarettes because I smoke cigarettes because I'm an mm-hmm. idiot. I know, you know, but, you know, that's what I do. And those four pills will last me till later tonight. Uh-huh. But sometimes and- I can go, you know, one day with one pill, you know, the next day with a half a pill or, you know, but I'm withdrawn right after. So,
2: mm-hmm.
0: So is there anything that you do to, other than taking more fentanyl, is there anything that helps you with the withdrawals? Do you, do you take any other kind of meds to help you through it if you, if you can't access the fentanyl fast enough?
1: No. Um, I would go steal from Walmart or Flows or Target or anywhere to go and support my habit because mm-hmm. so I I don't work right now I used to be union mm-hmm. laborer and now I don't work because of pain pills
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: and then do you have you noticed has there been a big difference in how much you're using after with this whole COVID and all the lockdowns has that affected the um your ability to source it or or how you've been no. using it no it's been the same before and after yes mm-hmm. And uh, so, have you have you tr- uh, gone through? Uh, so you you quit the stimulants you mentioned. That's a great step. You, you used to be on crack and cocaine. You mentioned so you you quit doing that, and you've stayed on the opioids. Have you ha- gone through uh, the process of trying to withdraw or go on to methadone or uh, quit opioid use in the past?
1: Um, I did a study here. The other, I think it was in like September, October. About the uh, the drug, what is it? The dr- drug abuse study or whatever it was.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It was for Alta Sciences, I think, or I don't even remember what it was for. I remember it was for Alta Sciences, but yeah, I did that here. And when I got out, I went to the doctor to Ku to get on Suboxone. what we mm-hmm. were taking here, but like it was just too expensive. Like,
2: mm-hmm.
1: like they said I was. Uh, Acquired for the grant or whatever, and mm-hmm. like that took forever. And every time I went, I was getting charged $200 for going to see the doctor. Well, I don't have that money, mm-hmm. so now KU is looking for like $600 for me, and I I, I ain't gonna pay it. I'm not, you know, I can't pay that,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then I'm not gonna pay you know, a hundred something dollars for a prescription mm-hmm. when I can go get a fentanyl pill for 20 bucks.
0: Mm-hmm. so one it's, it's going for approximately 20 bucks on the market for one yeah. pill that's what's the going rate yes uh-huh.
1: well I mean it, it differs some people's twenty dollars and some people's 35hmm yeah
0: and uh, so it, so the suboxone was very expensive and and for something like methadone that has a uh, slightly cheaper have you have you tried methadone before or no
1: I've tried methadone I I've snorted it too. I hate snorting methadone. It like pins and needles in your nose.
0: Uh-huh. so methadone is not doesn't give you that kind of pleasant uh, feeling that you get with the other
1: drugs. No, it it, it turns me mean. It turns me, and my brother, mean.
0: Ah, uh-huh. that's interesting. Did you find the same thing on Suboxone when you were taking it?
1: Uh, Suboxone, like. I don't know how to describe it. When it was on the streets before I came to the study, it made me feel just like I did pills. Cause you can get that little film thingy, put it in a spoon, get hot water and like, you know, mess it around and let it dissolve into the spoon. And then you can Mm -hmm. snort that, that that spoonful into your nose. And like you get just as high or higher from that doing a pill, which was cool, but you know, you couldn't, you couldn't do anything after that which was uh, like fine with me because the suboxone would last like all day long uh, but then uh, but then when i did it here and i got out mm-hmm. and i tried doing it when i was out it, it didn't have the same effect like i didn't get high from it or nothing like it, it was just there
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, I get high. Mm-hmm.
0: so when you did it the first time when you were doing it before you with the study um you said you couldn't do anything uh with it was it just because you were just so mellow or or how was that feeling? And
1: I, I mean it was just like I was high off of uh a handful of pills.
0: Mhm. So it just it just lasted longer but you still got that same pleasant yes. experience it just it lasted a long time.
1: Yeah, I like I even snorted the pills. Mhm. Yeah. The round orange pills that they oh my god the taste sorry. <laughs> they didn't, didn't taste good? It did not taste good. It tasted too orangey. Ah
0: uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so if you had a choice over what opioid you preferred, what would what would be your favorite opioid?
1: Uh-huh.
0: Is it fentanyl, oxycodone? Which one gave you the best kind of feeling when you were taking them?
1: I mean, they all gave me the same feeling. I would I would rather have stuck with the actual opiates that come from plants because, mm-hmm. like, I never withdrawed from opiates from plants. Like, I could do as many as I wanted, and I never had withdrawals. I could always go to work.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: then when I started using heroin and fentanyl, well, then I just, like, lost my family, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And, and can you ex- help explain why that was? So y- the, you had more withdrawals when you were using heroin and fentanyl compared to the prescription opioids?
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. But now, like, like, since I used fentanyl, I can't go back and use. I've tried it. I've tried using an Oxy, uh, oxy uh, they're, they're called Roxy, Roxy 30s. Mm-hmm. The little blue ones, just like the little blue fentanyl 30s. And you know, that's what I thought I was getting for a long time was just the regular, but they would hit me harder. I'm like, well, yeah, I can love this. Mm-hmm. But now, like, I can't go back to oxycodone or hydrocodone or anything because you can't get high from it. You will not get high. It doesn't matter. I took nine oxycodone 30s, I ate them, mm-hmm. and I didn't get high at all. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm.
0: that's a, That's a big dose. Yeah. So, do they at least help uh, to prevent withdrawal? If you're if you're trying to, if say if you can't get fentanyl or heroin, do the prescriptions at least kind of tie you over until you could get another um, get access to fentanyl? No, so it doesn't help with the withdrawal either.
1: It doesn't help at all. Ah,
0: okay, that's uh, wow. So. yeah, so that that was well. It's interesting because at the end, and sorry, you you mentioned that you kind of transitioned from the prescriptions over to <coughs> heroin in your teenage years. Is that when – Oh, uh,
1: her- heroin was in my twenties.
0: In your twenties, okay, and that's yeah, kind of I when. Was,
1: yeah, <laughs> I was scared of needles. I hated needles. Mm-hmm. I hated, like, like when I was in school, they taught us that heroin was a hundred times worse than cigarettes or marijuana.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Which I mean, it's not really. It's just a pain pill, but. Mm-hmm. That's what I was taught. So I'm like, yeah, I don't want to be a heroin addict. I don't, you know, mm-hmm. that's why I became a crackhead. I'd rather be a crackhead than a heroin addict. Well, not really, because in, in, in long term, so I'd rather be a heroin addict than a crackhead because
2: mm-hmm.
1: I mean, it was, I mean, it was weird. Like, but with like the hydrocodones and shit, I didn't get withdrawals or nothing. You mm-hmm. know, my back hurt here and there, wh- whatever. You know, I was a laborer, I was holding a 90 pound jackhammer in my head all day. So yeah, my, my mm-hmm. body would hurt, but yeah. So, you know, it, it's just weird.
0: So when you were using, when you were uh, more heavily using the crack and cocaine, were you still using opioids or did you transition over to crack cocaine at that point?
1: I would use opiates like <laughs> I don't know. when I would smoke crack, I would, I used to get a prescription. So I would, <laughs> I would smoke, it's out of your system in three days. So, you know do it on the weekend by monday you're clean so you know i was on probation too at the time with with mm-hmm. John, uh you know somewhere out here whatever i ain't gonna say their name but uh so yeah you do it on the because i knew when i would have to go pee you know drop my u8 whatever mm-hmm. and so i would do it on friday and by monday i would be clean so every day i got every week that i got paid i get two grand in my pocket i would go and spend it on crack you know and but i would always have my prescriptions there because they would like counter the effect of the, like, if I got too high, I would take, you know, like eight ten milligram hydrocodones and I would come down and I would go to sleep. If I didn't, I would be awake all night.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And can you kind of explain or help us understand what the difference is in terms of how you feel when you're on a stimulant, like a crack cocaine versus when you're taking fentanyl or, or oxycodone um, can you kind of describe how you feel in under with an opioid versus a stimulant
1: um i don't know how to best describe when i was doing crack it, it was like a ethiopia like i don't know i was watching the crack cocaine thing on netflix i mean they explained mm-hmm. it to a t on there and mm-hmm. like that's exactly how you feel but when you're on opiates, it's more of a body high than a mind high,
2: mm-hmm.
1: if that makes any sense. So mm-hmm. instead of the crack, you know, the crack goes to your head. And then you're trying to fight for that hit that you first got that day or whatever. Then, you know, you just kept wanting to get that high again and you'll never get it. But with opiates, mm-hmm. the more you take, the higher you get.
2: Mm-hmm. But,
1: but it's more of a, how do I say it? I was more relaxed with opiates compared to... Smoking crack, getting high, and then getting paranoid.
0: Mm-hmm. So which way? So you you have a preference for opioids? Uh, you,
1: yes. N- yeah. Y- yes. That's that's what made me officially stop doing crack cocaine. Was I'm like, mm-hmm. dude, why 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 am I doing this if I don't like it? You know, like mm-hmm. spend all your money on pills. Well, then that was the mistake.
0: And then, did you uh, end up getting any type
1: of withdrawal
0: if you didn't get the 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 cracker cocaine?
1: I did not. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what withdrawal was until fentanyl. Mm-hmm. And I get goosebumps. I get the chills. I get like my 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 legs keep wanting to stretch. My arms want to stretch. My back, like I can't get comfortable. Yeah.
0: And how quickly does you, do you start getting the the withdrawal after you take a last dose? Does it happen within hours, or what's two your hours. time frame? Within two hours. Okay, so you're virtually having to take something almost around the clock every two hours to, to yes. kind of keep from from going into withdrawal.
1: Oh, like like here. Okay, I, I got. Only if. This is how I'm saying, like. <clears throat> if I'm by myself at my house. I can do one and be fine I could do like a half Like you know I could do a half and be fine for a couple hours Do the other half and then be fine for the rest If I'm by myself But if there are like other freaking people Like my brother Mm -hmm. If he comes over to my house He always goes well what are we going to do today Like I don't know what he does to me But he triggers something inside my body That makes me always throw But if I'm by myself I'm okay like like, I can fight the withdrawal more than I can when I'm with someone.
0: Uh-huh. And it, do you find that um, you also tend to use more if, you, if you're if in a certain place or if you're around certain people? Yes. And what kind of triggers those cravings?
1: Um they get i don't i don't they get worse when i'm with people like mm-hmm. <clears throat> like when i'm with people and i don't have anything and everybody's joined.
0: and so the and so the, you mentioned the it was interesting you mentioned the withdrawals are sometimes more difficult to manage when you're around people um is there is there a reason why that do you think that happens or what if you what are your thoughts on on why that would be <sighs>
1: I think it's like psychological, mm-hmm. like just get like, they, they, they plan a, cause if I'm fine by myself, then why do I need more when I'm with you? You know, it, mm-hmm. it's more psychological. It's because they keep saying, like, even if we get something,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, somebody will say, well, how are we going to get something here later? So instead of enjoying the fucking high, the fit and all when you first did it, you know, mm-hmm. so you're enjoying it on the ride home. But when you get home, and you know, somebody says that, well, then you're like, you know, now we have to go, you know, Try and make some money somewhere. So, yeah, I mean, with with, with somebody there, it's more psychological.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: and um, so, the well, that's uh, that That must be very challenging, especially when you're uh, a lot of it has to do with withdrawal. Have you gone through situations where you've overdosed? Never. Never.
1: Oh, so you're very lucky. Uh, no, I just mm-hmm. watch the doses I do. Like, mm-hmm. Like, except for the fentanyl, like, I had a high tolerance for pain pills, because I remember, no, oh, I did shoot heroin one time, uh, mm-hmm. it was when I couldn't get pain pills for like, a week or whatever, mm-hmm. and I I went over to my buddy's house, and I was here, I got this here, you know, new whatever, I'm like, okay, well, you know, and I did a point of it, and
2: mm-hmm.
1: like, it never did anything for me, like. Except for like eat vein away, which that's, you know, that, that's the thing that scares me about heroin is it eats your mm-hmm. veins. I like my veins showing. So, mm-hmm. but so like, and then one time like I did, I don't even know how much, I did like a half a point or something. And I never, never felt anything. And then it, I guess the heroin started getting stronger. They started mixing it with fentanyl or whatever it was. But
2: mm-hmm.
1: I think it was like a year ago I did something like, and it, It did the same thing as crack, kind of, but it, it, like, I went, whoa, whoa, like, my whole head, like, shit, like, I was getting high, like, I was getting, like, I was getting ready to get knocked out, like, I was getting ready to black out, like, get knocked out, Mm -hmm. like, fall out or overdose or whatever, but I didn't, I was still Mm -hmm. conscious and everything, and that's what made me stop shooting, you know, or doing heroin.
0: Oh, uh-huh. so the fentanyl, I mean, you're, you're very careful with your doses then when you're, when you're using it. Um, are you, is it to I don't know how much tell? is in it. Yeah, it's because it's, um, I, I don't it, know how much
1: c- is in the pill. So like, mm-hmm. like you can spike one with, I was looking online, like fentanyl, it takes, I don't know, so much before you OD and then you got carfentanol, which one grain of salt can make you OD. Mm-hmm. Like And then like when I was When Fentanyl first came out I was blacking out all the time Because they were so potent I mean they were so strong that my mind Didn't know what to do mm-hmm. So my mind would shut off But my body would keep going I remember Walking around in Price Chopper parking lot For mm-hmm. two hours I lost two hours of time I I woke up because a fireman Tapped me on my shoulder, and then I got put in handcuffs. Oh
2: goodness! Because
1: oh. I was walking mm-hmm. around, like.
0: Mm-hmm. But you don't remember.
1: I remember going into <laughs> Price Chopper to get meat. I don't mm-hmm. remember walking out. I don't remember going to my van. I don't remember throwing the keys in the middle parking lot. I don't remember ripping shit out of my van.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't remember none of that. I don't remember walking around. All I remember was getting woke up by a fireman.
0: Those were the blackouts that you were referring to, right? When you just couldn't, yes. you were doing things, you were conscious. So you weren't overdose. you were conscious, but you were, you just couldn't remember that like time I, kind of lapsed, right? Right.
1: Like I blacked out mm-hmm. until somebody like woke me up. And then I'm like, like, I don't remember walking into Bryce Tubber. I don't uh, remember uh-huh. going to the meet. Like the, the guys, the guy that worked there said that he watched me go up to the meet, pick two meats up. I picked him up, was getting ready to walk out with him. I set him down, I left, and I started walking. I don't remember any of that.
0: So, did that only happen? Did these blackouts only happen to you when you take fentanyl, or did that happen with any other drugs?
1: Just fentanyl.
0: Just fentanyl. And I did never it happen with, uh, with anything else? No.
1: no, never blacked out with anything else.
0: And did it happen uh, only when you first started using, or does it happen every so often?
1: Uh, it, it happened when. It, I think a year ago when this stuff first came out.
0: Uh-huh. So your body was kind of getting adjusted to it. Have you had recently, have you blacked out or that you know of?
1: I'm not like totally blacked out, but I hate saying this, but my mom knows when I'm high.
2: hmm
1: Because, yeah, I'm 30 years old and I live back with her. But uh, she can tell when I'm high because I start to get uh, – I like to clean.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I get obnoxious and I start to clean. Uh, like, I'll, I'll start clapping or I'll start yelling mm-hmm. or screaming or whatever. Talking loud like I was doing a minute ago. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, she can tell.
0: Oh, and then what does she do when, when she knows that you're <laughs> high? <laughs> does she Hi. give you a hard time or no?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I have to leave.
0: (laughs) Uh, So, um, so currently you're, you're doing, uh, so today you're, you're mainly doing the fentanyl or are you still, are
1: you do dabble
0: in any other drugs?
1: Uh, More or less the fentanyl. I'll do uh, like, you know, I'll snort a line of cocaine here and there, but,
2: Mm -hmm. or,
1: you know, Smoke, smoke, hit a meth because I used to get eighty or Adderall, which I love that too. Mm-hmm. But uh yeah, so I mean, like if acid was right in, my, like right in my face right now, I guarantee mm-hmm. I could ditch the pills and I can go straight to acid or shrooms. If I can get uh. shrooms or acid, that you know, I I don't know what it is, but like the next day, it makes me feel like refreshed and reenergized. Like my body doesn't mm-hmm. hurt, I can see clear.
0: It's interesting you say that because they're looking at a lot of research right now with lower doses of of the hallucinogens for different treatments for depression some even are trying yeah. to see about opioid um treating opioid use I
2: with guarantee um, it would work.
0: with a, so it, that then I wanted to just ask you about that because you it, would that um would in your experience could that be something that could help you get off opioids
1: like like one hundred percent like mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, everybody that I grew up with, my friends, we're all hooked on opiates. Like, mm-hmm. and I have a hundred friends, and every time we say something, because you know we we didn't do none of the shit when we were, you know, not not hardcore like we're now, like spending our paychecks on it, trying trying to survive to work just to get a you know pill. You know, it sucks. But mm-hmm. me and my buddy were talking. He goes, dude. If I had some acid or shrooms right now, I guarantee I would quit, but have mm-hmm. my money because, you know, he's got kids. I got kids. I'm not like, mm-hmm. I'm not even like, and this is the bad thing. I love my daughter to death. She's two years old. She's funny, but mm-hmm. I do not care about her until I get my fix. Like,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that's bad to say, like, I am a total can tell. I get something to call me. Like, I, I don't know what it is, but. If I had acid or shrimps or something, yeah, like I guarantee I'd be like, yeah, dude, I'm done.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I could do but- lower doses of that and be mm-hmm. fine just because the next day it makes me feel good and I, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they're you mentioned uh, earlier that they're very difficult to find. Is that right? Yes. Uh. So this, is it, have you come across it recently at all or, or no?
1: I haven't. Last time I did it was. I think it was 22, 23. It was the last time that anybody could get it. So it's been like seven years. Uh huh. Like it's it, it's hard to come by. And I mean, unless, unless you own a, a cow farm or something and you want to go shroom hunting, but I'm. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I ain't trespassing no farmer's yard. I ain't getting shot.
0: So when you were taking it, did it, um, were you taking opioids at the same time? Did it, or did it kind of replace the withdrawal when you were taking it, the, 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 it replaced acid? the
1: withdrawal. Ah, it, like, okay. like you didn't even, I don't you know. You didn't how even to feel that
0: you didn't feel any withdrawal symptoms when you were on it? Like, didn't because- feel
1: no withdrawal? like, The best thing that I ever did Mm -hmm. was go outside because my eyes like opened up and everything was like clear in the middle of the night and Mm -hmm. I was high, you know, high off Mm -hmm. acid and shrooms. I'm like, God, dude, this looks freaking awesome. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, laughing over nothing, you know, (laughs) it it, it was awesome. (laughs) So you weren't even like you were in the real world. You would laugh here and there like, you know, we. I know you're not supposed to, but we drove around, we went to quick trip, you know, we mm-hmm. got pop, you know, whatever, you know, we, we were mm-hmm. still relaxed enough to do whatever and laugh, but we weren't worried about, you know, getting a pain pill or nothing.
0: Uh uh-huh. So that's, is that the only drug that's ever kind of helped you stay further away from the opioids was the, with the yes. hallucinogens? And yeah. ha- does marijuana come close to doing anything like that or no?
1: Um when I smoked, when I started marijuana, it, I don't know, I did it at work, you know, I would do it, you know, just to ease my mind, but, like, mm-hmm. like, now I can, like, let's say, not yesterday, the day before yesterday, I smoked, but I didn't have anything. Well, for some reason, my body hurt ten times worse when I was high on marijuana than when I wasn't high on marijuana. Uh. So, I mean, I I don't know exactly what you know, some people say they don't hurt on marijuana, like their mm-hmm. pain goes well. I'm like, oh, I don't know how the hell that is because my body gets worse.
0: Uh-huh. So do you have pain normally or is it just the pain that you get when you get into withdrawal?
1: It's the pain I get for withdrawal.
0: Oh, okay. So you don't have like normal chronic pain? No. No. Oh, okay. And so, oh, that's, well, that's interesting. So the, the, the THC makes you feel more uh, intense withdrawals.
1: Yeah, it, like, puts more pressure on my back, my lower back. Mm. Ah. Like, I keep thinking about my lower back more. Do you have an injury there, or is it just no. <laughs> some strange
0: thing from withdrawal?
1: Yeah, it, it's just, yeah, it's something weird from withdrawal. Like, mm-hmm. like it's tight right now, but that's because I'm lazy and I don't do nothing. But, like, when I smoke, it's like, even, like, if I go out and I, you know, here and there, I'll go out and work, I'll make money, like, if it snows... You know, I'll go out and I'll shovel the snow for some money, you know, quick mm-hmm. money, whatever. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, my back don't hurt then. But when I uh, smoke, something about smoking marijuana makes my back hurt.
0: Oh, that's, uh, that's, that's interesting because it's, uh, you know, they're, they're looking at it for, for pain relief. Uh, I guess in some people it, it helps to relieve pain, but that's interesting. You, might, you may have a different uh, your body type. Your physiology may be a bit different where you're experiencing that. And so we'll pause here. Uh, Quite a lot of very interesting, again, uh, narrative that came out of that section of the interview. Uh, Dr. Kelsch, uh, the economics here, uh, he mentions the price of fentanyl being on the street between $20 and $35 a pill. uh, If that uh, withdrawal typically uh, sets in about every two hours or so after taking it, Um, it it seems it's a rather expensive habit. Um, He mentioned the suboxone cost costs were uh, really restrictive. However, if you take the math on what they're spending on the streets, it seems that they're spending a far more on, on the street drugs. Do you encounter that uh, in terms of the economics with some of the drug abusers that, you've, uh, that you deal with uh, in, in the clinic?
3: Yeah, they almost all will complain about the cost of the Suboxone, but yet when you point out how much their cigarettes or their habit costs, they, they recognize that, but there's also a lot of other effort that goes into getting the Suboxone from a prescriber that you don't have to do on the street. Your, your dealer maybe generally is pretty close to where you live, so it's easy to call them up and get, get it when you need it. To get the Suboxone, you have to have an appointment. You have to keep your appointment to get a refill. That costs money. Um, they may want to do you know medical labs, things like that, that they may not have insurance for, so they have to put pay for other things. Mm -hmm. Um, as well as the time and effort. And a lot of these people don't really have steady transportation. And at least in this area, public transportation is not all that great. So even getting to those appointments may be an issue. So I think it's the cost, but there's also a lot of other parts to it that they just find just not appealing. They just haven't made it easy for them to get it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's unfortunate because oftentimes
3: uh, when they come in these trials, they seem to get a benefit from the suboxone. Is that right? Yes. That they're- yeah. So if they're in a study that they're in-house any length of time where they finish the withdrawal and they've been titrated onto the suboxone, nearly all of them, you know, feel really good at the end. And, and some will want to go get the suboxone. Some will feel like they're kind of cured, that they've done so well that they should they should be able to go out and just maintain it. Um, but that obviously doesn't happen because you need more than three weeks of Suboxone to really get a mm-hmm. handle on that condition. Um, so yeah, it's different than, I think like he described using it on the street, wasn't all that great. They t- usually will just use that to mitigate the withdrawal until they can get what they want. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're actually getting it in a, on a regular basis at a good dose in a setting like this, then it's, it's very helpful. And they do; they all do really well.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And can you just kind of walk us through? So you mentioned that they they need to have a a physician will have to see them in person in order to write the scripts. how How often do they need to be uh, going into a physician's office uh, to get the script? Is it for every renewal of the script? And how long do the scripts? Is it a thirty day access,
3: or what's sort of the time frame that they need, typically have to go through? You know, just having only done the research where we sort of follow the protocol not, and having not prescribed that in a private practice setting, but there is a whole course you have to take in order to become a Suboxone provider. You only can have so many in your clinic. Um, I, I believe you have to come in and, and you know, you have to follow the, some drug screen. You know, they have to drop a urine and make sure that they're not taking something that might interact with it. Um, and the titration, but it's not like methadone where you have to come in every day. It definitely is easier, and once you're maintained on it, um, I think you can get at least a month supply, mm-hmm. um, if not longer. Um, probably, I, I'm not sure how long once you're stabilized. If you can get up to a three month, you know, some refills, probably mm-hmm. not. You probably have to have a paper prescription in order to get the refill. Mm-hmm.
0: And it's interesting because some of the, the, the uh, suboxone versus methadone, I mean, he mentions that methadone makes him turns him mean. He, he preferred the suboxone mm-hmm. if, if, uh, over the methadone. Uh, do you find that are there are differences? Uh, and I think as we go into this interview series, some of the other um, folks that we interview talk about some of the stigma with methadone. Uh, do you notice differences in, in sort of the pharmacology or, or reactions to methadone versus suboxone?
3: I think just like you mentioned, just the stigma. I think just for the people in the clinic who we had some who would will, who were willing to go to a methadone clinic and start methadone, um, and I think once you're on it, it's it seems like they they look pretty similar. But I do think there's an idea that to get off the methadone is harder. That if you're on methadone, you're going to be on it the rest of your life, um, and then people have different experiences with it when they get it off the street. Um, just um, differences in how, how it makes them feel. Um, but no, I mean, I think, um, cause we've done studies where we've had people who were on stable doses of methadone and suboxone and they both, they both work. I mean, if you're someone's committed to it and is taking it the way they should, they both do a pretty good job.
0: Mm-hmm and he did mention uh, an, another uh, way of that he's tampered with uh, pr- drugs in the past he talked about suboxone films and putting those over a spoon heating them up and then snorting the liquid uh, so yeah. that's a new one uh, with the with the film uh, so again uh, some evidence there of some prescription tampering or drug tampering there uh, that we're always interested in in overcoming um, he did mention that he has a preference for opioids uh, but he'd rather be a crack addict uh, because it's easy Easier to overcome uh, the crack addiction uh, compared to the the mm-hmm. opioid addiction. Um, you know, you've you've done with Dr. Kelsey. You've worked with cocaine um, individuals who are uh, cocaine dependent. Do you notice uh, observable differences between opioid uh, addicts versus uh,
3: crack cocaine stimulant users? Yes, because we've done studies where people have to come in and be negative for cocaine. These are people who have sort of a cocaine use disorder, and they do okay. I mean, they come in and have to be negative and they're not just not like the people who are withdrawing from opioids. Um, So I do think it's, it's less intense as far as that goes.
0: For the withdrawal, yes. Yeah, I just child. haven't
3: really seen a ton of withdrawal with the cocaine, at least not in our facility. Mm-hmm. We haven't lost people from che- for checking in and saying, oh, I have to just go get my cocaine. I can't stay. Mm-hmm. Whereas we've definitely had people who, with the opioid use disorder, who just can't stay. They just can't even spend the night. They end up leaving. Mm-hmm.
0: Another interesting, uh, again, he was commenting on the psychedelics, the the LSD and the shrooms and sort of his experience having taken that of note, it was uh, rather interesting that he's not able to find those types of drugs on the street, but uh, just given some of the intensity in recent years of looking at psychedelics for um, disorders like opioid use disorder, there seems to be some um, he seems to be resonating with the fact that this may be helpful in some way Mm -hmm. for his opioid use disorder. but it is difficult for him to to access it. So, so I thought right. the the comment around it was was rather uh, interesting that he it seems to help mitigate the withdrawal or the at least the intensity. He felt better from it,
3: right? Right. That is promising because they are studying that, and it would be nice to have another another way to address this condition. And if something like that can help in a structured setting, then that that would be really wonderful. I did also find it interesting uh, with with the
0: marijuana use that he he mentions that it sort of exacerbated his pain that he gets from withdrawal. He mentioned the back pain that he that he experiences and marijuana making it feel worse. So in his case, I I mean, I know that a lot of folks look at THC for its potential analgesic properties, but uh, I guess not everybody's physiology is the same. And in this particular case, he seems to get a worsening of the marijuana. But it does, uh, marijuana use is quite prevalent amongst uh, a lot of folks who use, have opioid use disorder, right? So are they, are are some people getting relief from the THC use and withdrawals uh, in your experience or is it...
3: uh, Do they avoid that no i don't i don't think it really helps i mean i think um it's not as common as it is in our recreational drug users when we do a recreational study i mean that's definitely the drug of choice so they may use opiates if it's available but they use marijuana every day a lot of them where Mm -hmm. these with the opioid use disorder we see cocaine sometimes we see pcp but sometimes that's you know just you know, benzos for when they want to come down. I think if they're needing to come down from something like a stimulant, the benzos, but yeah, I mean, I don't think, I don't think it helps. It's not, they, I mean, they never say, oh, if I could just go smoke some weed, I would feel so much better.
2: Mm-hmm. That,
3: I don't think it replaces it, but it's probably just a personal preference. Some people like it and the way it makes them feel and some um, don't, but I don't think it helps. It doesn't help the pain of withdrawal. Mm-hmm. But you find,
0: you find it uh, that they use less THC in the
3: dependent populations than the non-dependent. Is that right? It seems like, it's, you know, it seems like it's, I'd have to do just kind of look at the statistics, mm-hmm. but because um, we'll see a lot of people with opioid use disorder that come in with um, that positive. We see a lot of methamphetamine with it, mm-hmm. um, some cocaine, and we'll see some marijuana, but it's just, it's not, it's not most of them. That are using marijuana too.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Well, and I suppose that makes sense because if it's not helping
0: them with withdrawal mm-hmm. and they're focused, uh, their primary focus is on addressing withdrawal symptoms then all of their money or whatever they can um, gather would be probably focused on obtaining more mm-hmm. opioids to control it rather than something that may not necessarily help them with that. So that mm-hmm. that also uh, makes sense and with that respect too. Uh, so that that was really um, quite interesting. I also found it very interesting. Again, he mentioned the the, the fentanyl blackouts and, and sort of the experience he had at the the grocery store when he couldn't remember uh, what had happened. Um, it's hard to say, I guess, what happens, what causes this since these are all obtained from the streets and we really
3: don't know what is in any of these pills. Right. So it
2: <laughs> that, could
3: be cut with like a benzo. You know, I think they have some that are kind of look like a date rape drug where you do mm-hmm. lose memory. I don't think that's super common. But yeah, like you said, you don't know what's in there. And some people think they're buying oxies and it's really fentanyl. So for example, we'll have someone who uses every day, but they come in and their drug screen for opioids is negative. So we've now had to add a fentanyl test, which is separate. We have an in-house fentanyl because it's not picked up in a normal um, opioid panel.
0: Uh, so now that you're implementing the fentanyl test, are you seeing a lot of uh, positives come out on fentanyl?
3: Well, we don't do it for our regular you know, healthy volunteers. So yes, anytime. um, Yeah. I mean, for that study, in order to be eligible, you had to have a positive opioid. And so we had to add it in order. We would have had a handful that wouldn't have been eligible because it looked as if they weren't using. Right. Yeah. But just in general, it's not part of the general drug screen that we do because it takes three days um, if you Mm -hmm. send it out. Um, But we probably should do it for our recreational opioid studies. Mm -hmm. Just because we won't know if they're currently using we don't want to do a naloxone challenge if they're actually positive check in we just haven't picked it up Mm -hmm.
0: and it would largely be dependent on what source they're getting it from right i mean if they're getting it from a prescription then uh, Mm -hmm. you know you're not probably right uh, getting it something laced as opposed to getting out on the street where it's yeah. uncertain as to what might be in there and what could come out positive on a urine drug screen uh, so that's all that's all very interesting so I think he uh, there, there were certainly very interesting points that were brought up in this segment and we have just one more segment of the interview to go through and we'll f- conclude that with a final uh, roundtable discussion and conclusions uh, so stay tuned the the other thing I wanted to ask you also was you had mentioned that you had participated in a study at um, uh, in in Kansas there at the clinic that you're at. Yes. Um, did you just have you tried it uh, one just one study before? Or have you been in multiple studies?
1: Um, I've tried to do multiple studies, but the drugs had a hold of me too long.
0: And when, when you were part of the study, did you receive any of the treatments? Did you do any, um, what were they asking you to do? Were they, were you filling out questionnaires about a drug or how was that study set up?
1: Um, uh, we did the, the Suboxone study.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um, mm-hmm. I forgot what it was called. Uh, I forgot what the name of the, the, the actual city was. Like, I, oh, that's I, okay. You can but, just describe yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we, well, especially because of COVID right now, the, uh, mm. So we all had to stay in a room, me and two other guys. Um, and I think like we had to stay here for 27 days, 30 days, whatever. And uh, <laughs> I think it was like the 11th or something day. We had to stay in our room all day long for, I don't know, 20-something 20, 20 hours or something like that. I mean, it was crazy. So we had to sit there, and we always had to get stuck every hour just, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it it was cool the suboxone help with the withdrawals I did it withdrawal mm-hmm. uh, so I you know I'd come out
2: oh, sorry
1: I would do my tests you know write mm-hmm. down where my pain was or where where my withdrawal symptoms were at or so on and so forth mm-hmm. on a sheet I'd have to mark it you know one line mm-hmm. to tell them where I was at and then you know, I then we'd have the rest of the day to just watch TV and eat and mm-hmm i mean that was the main study was just that like they did it when we first got there they mm-hmm. did it halfway through and then when we left
0: Ah, uh, so was it so you were you felt comfortable the suboxone helped with the withdrawal did you get any kind of breakthrough withdrawal or did it kind of tie you over for the time that <clears throat> excuse me that you were in the
1: study uh, sorry um it yeah. uh it lasted for three days when i went out when i left
0: uh, oh, the Suboxone. So it stayed in your system, and you had no withdrawal for th- about three days, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they're, they're long-acting. Um, so, and but you had you mentioned that you had it, it was very expensive to stay on that. Would that have been if it had been more accessible? Would it have been something that you would have considered staying on?
1: Yeah, because it, it would mm-hmm. let me keep my family. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, like I mean, yeah, I mean, it it would like if. <sighs> I don't know. Like it like like they have grants or whatever for in, in Kansas, they have grants. You can, you know, qualify for a grant. Well, I mm-hmm. haven't worked in like three years, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they, they said I qualified for the grant. Well, they never sent me paperwork or did anything for the grant, but they kept charging me every time I went to the doctor's office.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And somehow the grant wouldn't have covered that and I would have had to come up with the money before I got covered for the grant. And I'm like,
2: mm-hmm.
1: Well, I can't pay for that. So how am I you know? Yeah. Uh, I'm not worried about that. So I'll see you guys later. I'm not paying it was it was like a hundred and it was like a hundred like five dollars or something. I mean it's not much, but
0: so it was a hundred and five dollars for how much of a supply for how long of a supply would it have lasted you?
1: I think they were like two milligrams mm-hmm. and I mean if doses were higher, maybe I would have bought them more, you know, bought mm-hmm. it, but I was like, no, like, but it was for a week. The supply was for a week, so like, I think it was like three day or two day or something like that. So two days' supply was about a hundred and five dollars. You know, about a week' supply was a week. Five dollars.
0: Yeah. Okay, but is that is that similar to what you're paying for when you're buying fentanyl? Is that comparable, or is it? Um, are you spending more on fentanyl?
1: Uh, I spit more fit it all. Mm.
2: Yeah.
1: I wasn't looking at the bigger picture.
2: Hey, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I wasn't, <laughs> uh, I was
1: looking at a quick fix to stop my withdrawals for mm-hmm.
0: uh, a little bit. <laughs> uh, would you consider going back on some box or trying something that would help you come off of it?
1: Yeah. Hmm.
0: Well, we can check. Uh, I mean, certainly, um, we have a clinic there, and, and perhaps they can uh, help set up something for you or get you some connections there. Maybe if if you're interested in 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 doing that.
2: Yeah, because I hate. Perhaps
0: uh, we can perhaps provide some resources and I'll have my colleagues before you leave um, or, or a follow-up with you after if you would like to uh, you know, just check out what's local and uh, resources in the area, if there's anything that they can do to, to maybe perhaps make it more affordable or if there's other you know avenues that you could take because um, you're clearly motivated um, to, to, to want to reduce that fentanyl use, right?
1: Yeah, oh yeah, I, I want to quit. Like, mm. I hate it. I hate it with a passion.
0: Yeah so it's um so the the when you were uh, and so just a technical thing on when you when you were in the study when they were asking you questions on withdrawal when you have to think about it so much does it does it change how you're responding like for example if you're kind of feeling okay and then you're being prompted to ask to these questions does it change the intensity of how you're feeling it so i guess what kind of what i'm asking is are the questions Um, were the questions that you were answering really reflective of what you're feeling? And is is there anything that we can do to uh, maybe change the questions or modify them to be a a little bit more accurate to what you're going through when you're going through withdrawal or using an opioid?
1: Well, people go through withdrawal symptoms differently. I Mm -hmm. was withdrawing, but with my withdrawal symptoms, my my muscles want to just keep moving. So I like stretch my arms and stretch my legs and uh, stretch my whole body. Uh-huh. And then I had my other two roommates in there that were withdrawing because we, you know, did this box or whatever. So, you know, straight withdrawal or whatever. And mm-hmm. they were throwing up and not eating. And I you know, I was eating everything. So I mean
0: ah, uh, interesting. Okay. So they had a very like, different uh they have different withdrawal symptoms.
1: Yes. Like like one couldn't, you know
0: um so they were but they were vomiting and they had the gi kind of the the yeah those types of symptoms and and you feel you feel like you're kind of restless you're you you have an urge to to what like move your move around or
1: yeah i mean it's like like mm -hmm. i'm doing now like you know standing up or stretching my legs Mm -hmm. or my arms Mm -hmm.
0: or so you feel restless right yes Mm -hmm. and then and, and then you mentioned you also have um back pain or you get pain when you're going through withdrawal
1: yep it's yeah Yep, it's in my back right now. <laughs>
0: uh, and then do you feel, uh, what What other kind of symptoms, are those usually the two major things that you feel when you're going into withdrawal, or do you, you get worse?
2: S- i start cold. to get
1: real mm-hmm. sweaty.
0: Uh-huh.
1: When I first start withdrawal, like if I do, mm-hmm. like last night I did, my last pill at 11 o'clock because I was told I couldn't do it today, so I did at 11, mm-hmm. and by 8 o'clock in the morning I was in full withdrawal, so.
0: Ah, uh, oh wow. So you're so you're undergoing withdrawal now as we're speaking. You're in some state Correct. of withdrawal. Okay. <laughs> so you're so I'm 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 not going to keep you too too long because I, no, you're I'm sure you are to I... you're comfortable.
1: You are fine. <laughs> you are fine. Don't you, no, you don't have to rest. <laughs> Um but in,
0: that that is interesting because you're quite unique in that sense. Uh so I guess you know if you were, were asking these questions, uh maybe some of them might not even be applying to you because they're they're usually um the, the symptoms manifest differently in, in different people. So that's that's a good thing right. to note as well. Um so when you were filling out the questionnaires, were there things on there that that you were able to relate to in terms of the withdrawal or were they really off the mark?
1: It was Well, I mean, like, like, like some of the questions they asked me, it was like, and like some of the questions are with COVID, you know, Mm -hmm. is your body aching? Are you, you know, sweaty, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, you got the chills. Well, okay. Well, yeah. With withdrawal symptoms, I do my body Mm -hmm. aches. You know, I got the withdrawal symptoms. My nose Mm -hmm. is runny, you know? Mm -hmm. So like when I first came in, I was scared to say my nose was runny. Mm -hmm. My body was aching, you know, I was scared to say, because (laughs) got coat you know I'm like here I go you know so but then like when the doctor came in and I was like are you experiencing withdrawal because like right away she's like yep his nose is running and I'm like I'm gonna get kicked out of here because I got COVID but then I seen it right down yeah he's in full withdrawal he's got five Mm -hmm. or more symptoms I'm like yes I do thank you
0: Mm -hmm. oh yeah, that's. Uh, uh, but I, they're they're trained there to to know the difference. So hopefully they didn't right. give you too much of a <laughs> much of a headache.
2: No, they didn't. It
1: was all um, it it was psychological. I did it to myself. I was mm-hmm. like, man, I don't want to lose that on this money. I need it. <laughs> hmm yeah so
0: then so that's uh thing so well I'm uh, I'm I think well'll we will we will stop here because it's, it's been extremely informative unless there's anything else that you wanted to share um, but I wanted to thank you so much for your time and um, it's been very very informative we're doing these interviews to really get a, a better understanding of uh, you know just what what experiences are because people manifest these um experiences with these drugs in such different ways and right. so we're trying to see if you know our the types of studies that we run we evaluate a lot of these drugs and and get feedback from people like you who who are using these drugs recreationally and we always want to know you know are we asking the right questions are we you are probing (laughs) okay um you know when we're doing these types of studies and uh, a lot of the the pharmaceutical companies that we're working with are trying to make uh opioids or stimulants for example that are more difficult to manipulate for you know whether to intranasally snort or to inject um so they're they're trying to come up with with uh, mechanisms for that and so you you mentioned uh i'll just quickly ask before we go yeah the go op's, to the OPs. Go yeah to,
1: go go do that i mean do that like like i'm not going to spend my like 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 i said like if i'm withdrawn i i i'm not going to spend my time and putting the motherfucker in the microwave i'm going to eat it so right.
2: Yeah.
1: Right. it's either you eat it or you you know mm-hmm. yeah
0: so, that's, uh, so It does it, it does it really matter to you then if, if a drug has <coughs> these kind of uh, properties to it that make it difficult to crush or to dissolve? Does it really make a difference for you at the end of the day?
1: Right. At the end of the day, no, because you're going to get high one way or another.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Whether, with that same
0: what, drug, with that same right, pill, with right? With that okay. same
1: drug, <laughs> right, exactly. You're either going to ingest it and it's... Going to go to your liver, or you're gonna snort it and it's gonna to go to your liver, or mm-hmm. you're gonna shoot it and it's gonna to go to your liver, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. But no matter at the end of the day, it 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 doesn't matter. I mean, like in a sense, it does, but it doesn't like like yeah, I don't want to waste my time with you know 10 seconds here, 10 seconds there, 10, mm-hmm. you know, I don't wanna be doing 10 seconds for one minute mm-hmm. to try to get this pill to, you know, whatever, when I just eat it and Be okay here in the next 30 minutes.
0: So for example, if you had, if you were buying some opioids from somebody and somebody had an OP, but they are, and they also had just like the regular generic uh, tablets, you would do, you would go with the, the choice would be to go with something, but easier to, to work with. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that has been very, very helpful. I really want to sincerely thank you for your time and for sharing um, your story with us. Well, that was a very informative interview and uh, the the candidate was so he was very forthcoming with what he goes through and how he experiences opioids and all the things that he's he's done to obtain drugs like theft and, and everything like that. so it's uh it was really remarkable uh, his his particular story and uh, some of the main points of the discussion I think really were around. Uh, how he uh, really manages withdrawal and the the potency of opioids over time, and the the difficulty he has with some of the more potent opioids like the heroin and particularly the fentanyl, in manifesting these conditions. Um, with respect to uh, withdrawal, Dr. Kelsch, I mean, you, you manage withdrawal uh, a lot in the clinic with, uh, when, when these subjects come in. What are some of the um, best results that you've gotten in terms of managing withdrawal with patients? Are there any uh, kind of clinical pearls that we could learn on about the management? I know it's a very uh, tricky and, and very intensive episodes when these things do happen, um, but what do, have you learned over the years for management of
3: withdrawal? Well, we've learned to just be pretty aggressive with the rescue medicines, um, which aren't perfect, but they do help some just the ibuprofen, the Tylenol, the, um, hydroxyzine, um, compazine. I think when they, when we first started doing these studies, we thought that maybe if we rescued them too aggressively, they wouldn't demonstrate withdrawal the next day. We'd have to delay their suboxone dose, but that hasn't been the case, um, so just very aggressive with the rescue medications and also um, just a lot of support. I mean, just reassurance that if they can get through the first couple days um, of the suboxone taper that they will feel better. Um, and so uh, it just takes a lot of support, reassurance um, and just allowing them to take the other medicines as ineffective as they might be, they can help take the edge off a little bit. Mm-hmm.
0: So can you kind of walk us through the procedures for uh, getting a, a somebody on suboxone in terms of the, the withdrawal that they have to go through before you can start them on the regimen? If you can kind of just walk us through how that occurs uh, if clinically.
3: Right. So in order to be inducted into suboxone, you have to have some withdrawal symptoms. Otherwise, if you're feeling fine and you give it to them, they'll suddenly go into this very precipitous withdrawal and it's very difficult. So some studies you know wanted their cows which is their clinical opiate withdrawal scale to be cleared at a 12 which is pretty high in order to just safely induct them onto this suboxone we found that that's probably too high to make them that sort of miserable prior to giving it to them but you can also be too low if you give them at a five like he's saying, you may have a runny nose for another reason, and so they're not quite ready for it. And then if you give it to them too early, then, it, then they're also in worse shape. So you really have to find that sweet spot, which is probably somewhere by an eight or so in order to give it to them. So they have to be demonstrating some significant symptoms in order to not make them worse. Um, so we may, like in a, in a protocol, we may allow two days in order to get that started, because depending on what they're using, if they're using just mostly pills, um, they may take longer to really demonstrate enough withdrawal in order to get onto the Suboxone. Um, whereas others, like you've mentioned, fentanyl or whatever, is a little bit quicker. So we need some sort of um, you know, window in which we can get them started. They may not all be starting at the same time. And then when
0: you start them on the Suboxone, um, how quickly is it before that you see the, that the withdrawal is mitigated? Does it take several days before you start to see an improvement in those
3: symptoms? probably by the third day, they're pretty much better, but the first day usually we'll start maybe at a four milligram dose and we'll allow them to have another four milligram dose in the afternoon. And then the next day we'll give them eight milligrams and then they can have another four um, in the afternoon. So then by the third day, they're getting 12 milligrams in the morning and they're usually um, better by then. So, um, the first day can still be pretty tough, um, but it it just gets incrementally better as, mm-hmm. as it goes on. As long as you haven't, like I said, given to, give them too early. If you give it to them too early and then they get worse, now they're kind of afraid of it, you know, and they don't mm-hmm. um, necessarily want to get the second dose. And so you have to just make sure that you're that we you do it correctly.
0: And then once they're titrated, uh, you usually follow them in the clinic for, for, for some time after that. Mm -hmm. Do they usually, are they very stable at that point once they've uh, gotten to that uh, stable Mm -hmm. titration dose, or do you see breakthrough? I mean, this particular um, uh, male didn't find, said that he didn't have any breakthrough withdrawal Mm -hmm. once he was stable.
3: No, I think early on when we were doing some of these studies that the dose you could give a person may vary. So maybe we'd have some people on 24 and some people just on eight, Mm -hmm. but most of our studies now you can titrate it to effect. Um, This last study we did, I think we got everybody to 16 milligrams and everybody um, was fine. We didn't have any breakthrough. And then at the end we titrate them down so that by the time they leave, some might be experiencing, some might feel a little bit of withdrawal, but the only way he's gonna withdraw at home is if he's using. So if you know you're using and you're feeling okay, you're not withdrawing. Then all of a sudden you're used, and then boom, you start to withdraw again. Once the effect, the Suboxone quits working.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that
0: has been a very interesting series, and this really kickstarts a series of additional interviews that we will be broadcasting over podcasts. And I think we'll see a lot of these uh, types of stories emerge, where um, you know these subjects who are dependent on opioids really have a a great momentum to address the the withdrawal symptoms and, and strong urges to do so. And uh, I think that this will be a recurring theme throughout our series. Uh, But we'll also be interviewing some non-dependent recreational users uh, who are not physically dependent. And you'll notice that their habits are quite different. They manifest and they experiment with drugs in different ways uh, and have different motivations from the dependent groups. Uh, And that will be uh, featured in some of the discussions that we have ongoing in this um, in this series. So I'd like to thank you Dr. Kelsch for for joining today and for your insights into this area of uh, drug use and uh, we look forward and thank our audience for joining us as well and look forward to our next sessions. Thank you very much.
3: Thank you.